Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you're with us. If you're kind of new around here, uh, my name's Matthew, one of the pastors, and it's a delight to get to open the scriptures and study them with you today. Would you uh, grab your Bibles, whether digital or print, whatever you got, and join me in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we uh, started a, a collection at the beginning of the year, uh, walking through the study of the book of Colossians, and we're looking at the essentials to the Christian life. What, what does it look like to embody a life of faith? What does it look like to live out our faith, to, to live this Christian life? And we're also taking the opportunity to talk through kind of what does it look like to be a part of this family, this Christian family known as Faith Church, what, what are some of the essential distinctions that we hold true, some of the uh, essential mindsets, if you will? In fact, we have, we have five mindsets or real core values for us as a church, and we've been kind of talking through those here at the first part of this collection, and we're going to look at one uh, of those today as well. Colossians chapter 2, we're starting in verse 1, just going to read five verses today. And uh, this is a letter the Apostle Paul is writing, and uh, he has this to say today. Verse 1 says this, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea. Now, English transliteration, Laodicea, in the Greek, it's Laodicea. Uh, I said it in the Greek in the first service, and I saw eyes like, that's not how you say that word. And I just wanted to, Laodicea is the uh, Greek pronunciation, Laodicea is the English pronunciation of it. He goes this, I, I'm praying for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul is writing to this church in, in, in Colossae, and, and he's writing to this church that he didn't start. He wasn't the one who planted this church. Epaphras was the one who started this church. But Epaphras was also the one who started the church in Laodicea or Laodicea. He, he, he started those churches and he actually started another one or two as well. And Paul is writing to them saying, hey, listen, I'm writing to you. I'm agonizing. I want you to know some really important things. I love that what we see from Paul straight off is that the body of Christ, the family of God, it is a global family, but it does have local expressions. I think it takes different kinds of churches to reach different kinds of people. I am grateful for the local churches in our region that are presenting Jesus and pushing people to walk in his ways. The local church, local churches in our area, we are not in competition. Rather, we are cheering our brothers and sisters on as they pursue Jesus in their context with their unique style and personality and way in which they're going about it. I am grateful for it. We're not trying to figure out uh, coming to, to the family of God it is not really about shopping for churches. <clears throat> The Bible says that God places us in the families. He's the one who plants us in the house of the Lord, which means he's the Lord of our life, which means we're, we're supposed to be leaning in on him and saying, God, where is the soil you want me to get planted? Not which one meets my needs, 
which has the best youth ministry, which has the best music. Uh, we're not trying to figure out where the, who has the best coffee and the most convenient service times, which pastor in town has the bus, best mustache. We already know. Pastor Dusty Drake's mustache is majestic. He wins. Like, this is not a competition. There are many different local expressions, but God has planted us in a place, and we want to come alongside the calling of that house, champion it, while at the same time celebrating what God is doing in other local contexts. This is the way we view the body of Christ, and this is the view that Paul had. He goes on to say this in verse 2, I want them to be encouraged. I want them knit together by strong ties of love. I, I want them to have a complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, in Christ, in his body, in his life, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Ephesians, the apostle Paul is writing to another church in Ephesus, and he, and he says this, he says, that there is a manifold wisdom of God that is seen visible through the people of God gathered together. In other words, it's in the body of Christ that we get a dimension and a glimpse of knowledge and wisdom that the world doesn't see because we're seeing an, an element of God that they don't see when they're outside of the family of God. In other words, when you gather in small groups with people who are sitting on your row or sitting in another section and you begin to get to know them and you get to know what God has done in them and the story of God growing in them and the faith that they have and, and you begin to dialogue on scripture, you get a glimpse of the wisdom of God that you wouldn't have had you not been a part of that connectivity. There's some things stored up, some secrets. This, this word secret doesn't mean kept from you, but rather kept for someone who's a part of it. There are secrets my wife and I share that nobody else knows of these things. They're just between us, but it doesn't mean they aren't known to us. They're just known to only a few of us. There are some secrets that only occur in the family of God. There's an element and dimension of knowing God that you will only experience, know, and come to realize when you engage into the family and the body of Christ. Because it's in Christ that all of these things have been hidden, made for us to see and know. He goes on to say this in verse 4, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. In other words, it's possible for you to be deceived by well-crafted arguments as it relates to the value of the people of God and the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ himself. Don't listen to the well-crafted arguments of the pundits who have a lot of popularity. Don't listen to the TikTok viral video as to what is truth or not truth. It can be easily deceived. And the tricky thing about deception is you don't know that you're deceived. That it's very possible to go about believing something about the body of Christ and the family of God and the kingdom of God that isn't true, but you're fully convinced that it is true. It takes other people who see and know and understand something to help you see where you're blind and falling into deception. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to get deceived, actually. I want you to walk in the way, the truth, and the life that is only found in Jesus Christ. 
He says, don't fall into these well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, he says. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith is strong in Christ or that your faith in Christ is strong. I love this passage. There's some things that, that really kind of ruminate. And I love that he ends this idea of that, like, your faith in Christ is strong. Here at Faith Church, one of the, uh, our one motto, like, if you could boil all of it down to who we are as a church, it's simply this. We bring faith to life. We bring faith to life. This is what we want to do. We when it's all centered, all the things that we do, all that we're about, all that, all that we're pursuing and wanting to go after and help people experience and realize all of the stuff, all of the sacrifice, all of the planning, all of the leadership, all of the training, all of the, the ministry teams that we have, all, all of it is to help bring faith to life. Like we as Faith Church want to bring this radiant life of Christ alive. We want to awaken this faith inside of other people. And we want it to be seen by others as we embody a loyalty to Jesus that is for him and him alone. It's something that's embodied, that's seen in our lives and it's seen by others. And, and one of the ways that ensures that we're bringing faith to life is one of our mindsets, one of our, our values that's simply this. We are together. Will you say that? Say, we are together. We're being unified as God-honoring, joyful, generous contributors. We are together. We are together on this mission to bring faith to life. We want to be together in this. One of the things, there are two things that I noticed in this text today that kind of correlate and help speak to this value, this mindset, this essential truth that we hold to as a people that helps govern us and move us towards this mission of bringing faith to life. This two phrases that kind of stood out to me. One was knit together by love and living a faith in Christ that, that's strong. Here's why it stood out to me. There are two things that move the heart of God on your behalf in, in, in Christendom. Two things that move God on your behalf, unity and faith. God moves and shows up in the places where there is unity, and God responds to people who have faith. If you want to get God active and seen in your life, if you want something of the life of God to occur in your midst, if you want to see it happen, it's going to it's going to be when God sees unity and when God sees faith, he's moving in those directions. Unity and faith. Let me look at this phrase. He says, knit together by love. Knit together by love. This, this phrase, knit together by love, is a unity due to Christ. It's, it's a unity that comes because of Jesus Christ. There is a unity that God longs for his people to walk in because there is a bond of Christ that unites all of us. Regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of our opinions, regardless of our political persuasions, regardless of our income settings, regardless of our education levels, regardless of the place that we live, there is a unity in the people of God and the body of Christ because of Christ. It's because of him that we can walk in unity. Psalms 133 says it like this. How wonderful 
and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony or in unity. For, for harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robes. Harmony, unity, is, it's as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. In other words, the psalmist is saying, if you want to see the blessing of God in your life, become a person operating in unity, and God can't help but reveal his blessing into that space, into that life. Let's, let's reverse engineer this. If there is a lack of the flourishing of God in your life, it's likely because there is a place in your life that is not walking in unity to the ways of God in your life. Just, just hang with me, hang with me, hang with me. You want to see God respond? You want to see God move in your midst, move in your life? Cultivate unity. In, in the scriptures, it says that it's like the dew on top of Mount Hermon. It's, it's like the mountain that shows up on the mountain of Zion. It's there. That's the place God commands his blessing. He commands it. Can't help but show up there. In scripture, when the Bible talks about mountains, mountains are the places of encounter. Mountains are the places where the heavens invade earth. Mountains are the place where the unseen realm becomes seen and visible. It's the overlap of the places where God would meet. Just think back. Those of you that are Bible scholars, you've studied the Bible a little bit, go back through in the Old Testament. All the places God showed up was on a mountain. There was something about the high places, the mountain places of God. Jesus, <laughs> I can't overestimate this. Jesus died on the cross atop of a, I'm just saying, all of the trans, the transfig, God's glory, Jesus himself transfigured. He shined like glory. It was on top of a mountain. The Ten Commandments came to Moses where he met God face to face on top of a mountain. Y'all follow it. The mountains are representative of the places of God's encounter. And God says, unity is like living atop of the mountain where I show up all the time. If you want to experience the power and the presence of God that flourishes your life, be a person who walks in unity. Be a person that walks in this way of, of unity. Because when the people of God are walking in unity, Scripture says that it's like this embodied reality where people can't help but see those people must belong to God and know God. There's something that marks the people of God who walk in, in unity. And at Faith Church, we, we want to be together, unified. There, there are two main ways to have unity in any relationship. You can have agreement. And when you're walking in agreement, you have unity. But there comes a time in your life, because you're you, where the agreement will become a disagreement. Where you, you'll see it one way, and the people that you're in relationship with see, see it another way. Like, you're walking in agreement until your parents tell you how you should keep your room clean, and now there's a disagreement on what your room should look like. 
You're in unity until your boss comes and tells you to stop showing up late to work and quit being on Facebook. Now there's a disagreement. Oh, look out now. Like you can have agreement with your spouse until they have a different opinion than you. And all of a sudden you are no longer in agreement. Now you are at a crossroads with disagreement. And the only way to maintain unity when you don't have agreement, don't miss this, is submission. I I love the Lord. I'm going to follow the Lord. I want to honor him. I want God to have all of my heart. He gets it all. Give for your first 10% to the Lord. Oh, Lord, we got a disagreement here. How dare the Lord try to tell me what to do with my money? We got to disagree. And the only way to start walking in unity with the ways of God is to walk in submission. I'm going to walk in unity. I'm going to walk in unity. I love the Lord. I love the church. It's so great. Somebody offends you. They took your seat, and now you have a disagreement with them. I can't believe they didn't say hi to me. They looked at me the wrong way. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't call me when I was sick. They didn't care about me. Now we've got a disagreement. And the only way to maintain unity is to walk in in submission. This is where surrendering your life to Christ is the beginning of experiencing God in your life. Because it's only when we're walking in unity with Christ that we can experience the transforming presence of God in our life. Are are we tracking? Are you with me? Unity unleashes the very blessing and promise and presence of God in every area of our life. I I could say it this way. Being knit together is due to Christ. It's due to Christ because it's due because of his love. And we often don't walk in unity with the people around us because we are not walking in love to the people around us. Because unity is one of the greatest expressions and culminations of love of God in the world. If you want to know what love looks like, it looks like people walking in unity. Not love based on what you think love is. Love based on what God says love is. Here's God's definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, starting at verse 4, it says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love is not boastful. Or proud. It's not rude. Like, get the stank face off. It ain't rude. Love does not demand its own way. Let me say that one again. Love does not demand its own way. Here's a fun one. Love is not irritable. Like, I'm not even annoyed. here's the one I hate Uh, love keeps no record of being wronged like I got a long memory I don't know what y'all talking about (laughs) you want to know why there's often not unity in small towns we got long records of being made wrong he done quit preaching and started meddling let me get back to the scriptures before y'all start throwing some stuff Love does not rejoice about injustice, but it actually rejoices whenever truth wins out. Never gives up. Love never loses faith. Is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Friends, being knit together, the Apostle Paul is saying, is a unity due to the love of Christ in our lives. Love that we've received 
and love that we choose to express and live out. And it is there that heaven meets earth. It is there that God shows up. It is there that God promises to flourish in our midst. Unity brings the fullness of God in our midst. And here at Faith Church, we want to bring faith to life. And it starts because we choose to be together, unified in some things. But here's the second, second thing that's important to this. Wait, wait, let me say this, because this is really helpful. <clears throat> One of the reasons we don't often walk in unity and we live in disagreements all the time and we have a problem with the idea of submission is because we think that we're on the hook for other people's decisions. When you begin to realize what you're responsible to steward isn't the same thing as what someone else is responsible to steward, it frees you from feeling like you have to exert your authority and autonomy and agency to make it be what you want it to be. Pastor, you're saying a lot of big words. Break it down for me. It looks like this. When I went to a job and I don't agree with everything that the job wants me to do, that it's not maybe the best approach, best strategy, or definitely not the, I don't really, I remember working at Hollywood Video back in the day when video stores were a thing, and we had to wear those bright purple Grimace uh, shirts, y'all don't know nothing about fam, like uh, Hollywood Video, like we had to wear these purple, they were the ugliest things known to man, and I did not like being told what to wear when I showed up to work. We had a disagreement on having to wear uniforms at, church, at, at, the, at the workplace. But that's not my workplace. I'm not ultimately responsible for the decisions made in that place. So my level of authority helped me recognize I'm not stewarding everything in this place. That's somebody else's decision. They're accountable to God. I don't, I don't have a problem submitting. Why? Because when I recognize who it is in authority, I recognize that's not my place of authority so I can walk in submission knowing that they're the one being held accountable, not me. Let me, let me bring it to the church world for just a minute. There will be things in the, the family of God, even in this local expression of faith church, that's going to maybe rub you the wrong way, that you're not going to agree with. You don't think it's the best approach, best strategy, best use of this, best thing. And you, you've got some disagreements. I hope we can have some conversations and have some understanding so that we can have some agreement. But if we can't have some agreement, at the end of the day, remember, you aren't standing before God on what happens in this church, but I am. And the elders are. And that allows us to walk with the sense of freedom to be like, ah, that's not my stewardship, that's theirs. I can trust them to make that decision and I can just continue to walk in unity and submission, even though I don't love it. I can just trust that God's going to lead them. And at the end of the day, they stand before God on that. Can I, you want me to bring it into your home? Moms and dads, boys and girls. You don't like a decision your parents make? It's all right. Just know it's their authority on the line, not yours. And if you'll walk in submission, you'll still receive the blessing of God, even if it's the wrong decision. <clears throat> Husbands and wives. <laughs> God always brings blessing in unity. And there's only two ways to have unity. Agreement. But when there's a disagreement, somebody's going to have to submit. And when you have a relationship built on mutual love of God, it's easy to walk in mutual submission one to another, which is what the scripture commands of us. 
And it's a lot easier to walk in submission when I know it's somebody else's authority and it's someone else's stewardship that's accountable for this decision. And I can just walk in the freedom of knowing when I'm walking in submission to those authority over my life, it's them before the Lord, not me. And I can live with a free heart and a clean heart. This is the tension that we wrestle, but when we receive the love of God, listen, when, when I recognize that it's God's ways versus my ways, and I'm willing, if I disagree with the ways of God, but I'm willing to submit my life to God, I recognize he's the ultimate authority accountable for those things, and my life is just to walk and follow after him. That's my stewardship. Come on, is this making sense? And this is the tension point because we feel like we get to be in charge of everything, but the whole point of meeting Jesus is that you come to a place of surrender. And that's when you begin to experience the life of God, the presence of God, because God shows up in the place of unity, because the opposite of unity is division. Division is the place where there is confusion and chaos. James tells us in the place where there is confusion and chaos exists every evil work. In other words, living in a place apart from the unity of God invites the devil to start working in your life, creating havoc in your life, and you live confused, you live, you live conflicted, and you miss out on the blessing of God because you're living in a place where there is chaos and confusion and every evil work of the enemy exists there. Friends, I'm just trying to help us live a flourishing life, to bring faith to life. And it starts by us making decisions. We're going to be together on the things that are important for us to be together on. And when, when there might be some differences and disagreements, if they're not essential, core, first, primary issue things, and they're not sin issues, but we can just deal with differences and choose to give allowance and love and be patient and kind and choose not to be offended and choose not to be irritable and choose not to be offended and choose to walk in forgiveness and keeping no right. We can do that with the love of God growing in our midst, and we continue to experience the fullness of God in this house. Knit together by the bond of love. Number two, it's living a faith in Christ that is strong. This is a faith that's directed to Christ. This is the second thing, right? Two things that move the heart of God in our life, unity and faith, unity and faith, unity and faith. We talked about unity. Let's talk about faith for a minute. He says, I want you to have a strong faith. This strong faith is a faith directed at Christ, not directed at myself, not directed in my knowledge of good and evil, not directed in my problem, my preferences. It's directed at Christ. My, my loyalty is to Christ. My loyalty is to live the way of Jesus. And I love what, what Paul says it in this, uh, in verse five, he, he says it like, he says it like this. I, I rejoice that you are living as you should. And then he talks about their faith. I rejoice that you're living as you should. I rejoice that you are having a loyalty to Jesus that's moving you in his direction. Can I ask you a question? Are you living as you should when no one from church is around? Are, are you living as you should? Is your... As you get in the presence of God, there's something that hypes us, right? Man, we love what God is doing, baptisms and this. And, oh, we love, we love the feels of church. But is your hype about God being matched by your holiness to God? And he says, 
I'm so thankful that you're living as you should, that your life is an accurate representation of a representing Christ to the world around you. I, I said last week that we're called to be ambassadors. Like, we're brand ambassadors. Like, Christ gives us his name, and everywhere we go, we represent him in our world. Like, this is what we're called to do. This is what we as the people of God, everywhere we go, not just Sundays, not just when it's like holy hype, but when like we're in the locker room that we're still living holy. That when we're on lunch break, we're still living holy. We're still living loyal to the Lord. When no one else is watching, we still want to live loyal and holy to God. That there's this loyalty to God that brings this strength of faith because our loyalty to Jesus is regardless of our context. That, that our life of faith actually brings honor to his name. We're God-honoring, joyful, we're generous contributors. Why? Because we're, uni- we're together in this because we want to bring faith to life and we want our life of faith to be strong, not weak. We don't want to be wishy-washy, this one way, this another way. And, and there is a process of growth in that. There's patience with the Lord in that 100%. Holiness is about moving in the direction of God. Holiness isn't the lines that we cross where we feel guilty. See, see, what most of us do is we live our lives. I remember being a youth pastor and like the famous question every teenager asked was like, in our relationships, pastor, like how far is too far? Like, how sexual can I be with my girlfriend, boyfriend without like sinning? Because like heaven is really important to me, but hormones are raging in me. Help me out. Like, legit question. We're growing up in a day and age where nobody asked that question at all. We, we don't even ask. We, uh, what do you mean? I have to do something different with like my, like it's mine. I can do it up. Maybe not. But, but holiness, friends, is not a, not a line that we cross or don't cross. Holiness is the decision to move in the direction towards God with all of our life. So, so I'm not trying to figure out, like, is this kind of alcohol okay and this amount of alcohol okay? I'm just trying to say, Lord, I want to honor you with all that I have. I'm not, like... Is, is this lying? If I say it this way, is it kind of lying? If I, like, if I kind of forgive them, but I don't really forgive them, is that moving in the way of holiness, or is that kind of moving? Like, how ticked off can I be? What words can I say? Like, we're trying to create behavior modification. That's not holiness. Holiness goes to God and say, God, you can have all of me all the time. I want to move in your direction full stop. Living as you should. Living as you, as you should, regardless of the context, regardless of the situation, regardless of the storms or the blessings in your life. You're living in a direction that honors God, that represents his name. Is your life and my life, is it growing in a God-honoring way where God looks at that and is like, man, I'm so, man, that's awesome. That, that looks like my son. They're growing in the image of God. They're growing in the ways. Man, look at that. Oh, I love that. They're trying to pursue me with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love that. That's, are, you, are, are we living as we should? Because God responds to two things, unity and our life of faith. This, this life of loyalty to Jesus. 
And as we look at like our own lives and how we live our lives, you might sit back and say, it ain't nobody's business how I live my life. Fair? You might sit back and say, Pastor, I don't care what people think about me. Fair. Sounds good. I've never heard anybody say, I don't care what people think about me, and they actually care about growing in holiness. They're actually creating verbiage and an excuse to justify not growing in the ways of God, to not mature. That's actually what it means. Friends, God has done a deep work in my heart to where I am not controlled, manipulated, and my life doesn't change with the opinion that people have of me. That's true. But I absolutely care what they think about me because I want them to see Jesus in me. And I really care what people think about Jesus. So I want the brand of my life, my lifestyle, to line up in a way that's loyal to the ways of Jesus, not loyal to the ways of the world, what's culturally acceptable, and what the world says is good or bad. I want to live a life that says, God, I'm loyal to you and you alone. Our faith isn't in our good deeds Our faith is in the person of Jesus growing and living inside of us because we get in the presence of God. Friends, I want us to have a strong faith. I want you to have a strong faith. We we talked last year as we studied the book of Acts together that a strong faith is a radiant faith, not a radioactive life. When we talk about this idea of living loyally before Jesus, we're not, we're not talking about everywhere you go, you're just quoting scriptures in the King James language at people. Like that's... Like, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Okay, cool. Thank, thanks. Like, it's not like being extra Christian. Like, oversaved. Like, we don't need that. We just be normal. But if you're going to live loyal to Jesus and bring a radiant faith, that means that you're not going to get bitter when everybody else around you tells you you should be getting bitter. I don't care what verses you can quote, what you post on your Facebook wall, how many people like it, share it, and copy and paste it so that they don't see ads anymore. I don't care. I don't care. I want, to, I, want, I want you to live a life loyal to Jesus, which, which means that you're going to think about him, you're going to, you're going to seek him, that, that you're willing to walk in forgiveness, that you're going to find joy, that, that you choose to walk in submission to the authorities in your life rather than trying to buck the system and speak truth to the powers that be. I, I, I want us to live a life of loyalty to Jesus that looks like Jesus, that's patient and kind and not envious or boastful or proud or rude, keeps no record of wrong. That's the kind of life that we want to grow in. It's not how Christian we can look in the world, but how much of Jesus we represent in a faithful way as we are changed to be like him in our world. A radiant faith, it's caring, it's learning, it's growing, it's generous, it's miraculous. This is what we saw the Radiant Church look like through the book of Acts. Caring, and learning, and growing, and generous, and seeing the miracles of God in their midst. Friends, this is what we long to see. I believe as a church that if we can live with this, this, this mindset that we are together, being unified as God-honoring, joyful, and generous contributors, We're going to live a life of unity and live a life of faith together. And we're going to see God move in our midst. 
that people are healed, people are set free, people are, have addictions break off in their life, people that have been tormented by, by dark thoughts have the light of Christ show up and rearrange things, that marriages that are failing and broken get restored, people who have given up on God and given up on church show up and they encounter the life-giving presence of God and something changed that we have an opportunity to help bring faith to life for other people who are so desperate to see something flourish in their life. There are three things that we think are really essential. The essence of what makes Faith Church kind of who we are. We are a local expression of a global body. And in our local expression, local here at Faith Church, there there are three things that we continually do and pursue that I want to just kind of share with you real real quick. We kind of put it in in a graphical image for you. We're on a mission to bring faith to life. Absolutely. All the time. Nonstop. But we believe that there are components to this where, where we want you to experience the transforming presence of God. When you experience the transforming presence of God, you surrender your life. It looks like water baptism. And in that surrender to Jesus, you begin to enter a process of counterformation and a commitment to follow the ways of Jesus, to learn the ways of Jesus, to learn what it looks like to love like Jesus and live like Jesus and be loyal to Jesus in his ways rather than the ways that the world has formed you because you and I are being formed all the time. The question is, who's doing the formation in us? And we want to be formed in the ways of Jesus. And as we get formed in the ways of Jesus, he invites us to not just become like Jesus, but to represent Jesus and live out this essential mission in our world. Transforming presence. Transforming presence. This is what we're after every Sunday when we gather. This is why you sit in the room and you can't help but your eyeballs to sweat with tears. Because we're creating some emotional experience. It's because you're encountering the presence of the living God. Hearing the word and something is pounding in your chest. Something is stirring in your soul. You're having an encounter and awareness and awakening of the presence of the living God. We are a people who unapologetically will pursue the transforming presence of God in our gatherings. We're going to meet on first Wednesdays to pray and we're going to seek God together and we're going to keep asking God to transform our lives. It is our only strategy because without the transforming presence of God, we have no life. In his book entitled Living Like Monks, Praying Like Fools, the author Tyler Staten talks uh, some commentary on 2 Samuel chapter 6 where King David is now being named king over the the kingdoms that have been split, Israel and now Judah. They're becoming one kingdom. And he says this. He says, the modern church's best kept secret is this. We believe in productivity, but not prayer. We believe in solid programs, above average teachings, and yet another worship album being released. That's success, right? The church's underground atheism in our time is that we will busy ourselves with almost anything except prayer. David's jaw-dropping first move was to put prayer back at the center for God's people. That was either the most admirable or the most ridiculous move a king could make. Depending on if you learn more poet or pragmatist, but David's unconventional reign as king was the political high point of the Israelite history any way you want to measure it, though. 
peace and safety in the city abounded. Prosperity in their economy was evident. Care for the poor happened all the time. And a divided kingdom became unified. David's priorities looked like a political disaster on paper. But he built his life radically on prayer. And God took care of everything else. David Fritch writes, the presence of God was David's political strategy. You want to know kind of the secret antidote to helping faith come alive in other people? It's the presence of God. The transforming presence. I want to see economic flourishing in our region. I do. Can I tell you how it comes? The transforming presence of God. Because when the transforming presence of God shows up, it begins to change our character. And God's blessing cannot be sustained where our character cannot keep us. And got to be careful. I don't want to say too much. Unity releases the blessing of God. Unity comes because our hearts have been touched by the love of God. The love of God becomes transformative in our lives because we get in the presence of God. If you want to know the spiritual hiccup for communities not flourishing, we're full of pragmatic solutions, but nobody's pursuing the presence of God in a way that transforms our actual character and our heart. As a church, we are radically committed to getting people to experience the presence of God. Because when we experience the presence of God, we're willing to step into counterformation and begin to change who we are. We begin to operate differently. We begin to operate in a ways that's God-honoring, where our character can sustain and handle our destiny. Where, where the character of God and God's people actually can help rearrange the faulty character flaws of people and communities and churches and places. We, we, we want to be people who are growing in this way. For, for us, counterformation is all about pursuing and learning the ways of Jesus. So we encourage you to get in groups. We try to say, join the Bible recap and read the Bible together. Let, let's, let's lean in every week and show up ready to hear God's word, to be spoken to. Let, let's get into the, these places where we can encounter the freedom and the formation of God. Let, let's get to this place where, where, the, where our priorities and our ways and our viewpoints of thinking about culture and thinking about the idols of our culture, where it shifts our minds so where we see the ways of God and we pursue the ways of God and we live the ways of God where we're not walking in disagreement to God, but we're walking in unity with the ways of God. And we begin to see our lives flourish. And when our lives flourish, our family life begins to flourish. And when families begin to flourish, uh, neighborhoods begin to flourish. Communities begin to flourish. Job sites begin to flourish. Places of, uh, of employment begin to, to, to sprout up. Colleges and universities and high schools begin to flourish. When the people of God begin to experience God and begin to live like God, they can go on an essential mission for God into those places. Where darkness is removed and light begins. I'm not trying to oversimplify the, the, the 
deep problems that we're facing. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize something. But don't make, don't make the mistake, friends. If we're going to see turnaround like David needed to see in the people of God and, and the nations that were separated, his one priority was getting in the presence of God and getting people to pursue God. Because it's in the pursuit of God that selfishness begins to decrease. We begin to be humble about some things and we begin to repent for our arrogance and our pride and our boastfulness and our disagreements and our arguments and our choosing our own way. And it begins to shape and transform us. And when we walk in this counterformation, we begin to, to realize we can participate in the essential mission that Jesus has for us. The essential mission Jesus has for you. What's that mission? To be a priest and to be an ambassador. If you want to follow Jesus, the mission Jesus has for all of us, to be a priest and to be an ambassador. A priest who ministers to God and to his family. And an ambassador who represents God in every context they enter in their workplace. Living out your calling as mission to represent Jesus in that space, whatever that space is. This is the mission we're called to. We minister to God. We minister to God in prayer. We minister to God in our worship. And we minister to God in our generosity. All of that is to Him. I don't show up to church just to minister to you. We show up to church as priests to also minister to the Lord. So, so in my ministry to the Lord, I'm not ministering the way I want to I'm ministering in a way that God wants me to minister. So why do I lift my hands in worship? Because God says that's what he likes. Why do I sing a song? Because God says he wants you to sing a song. That's worship to him. I'm here to minister to him, not, oh, I like that song, so I'll sing it. It makes me feel good. Worship ain't about you. Prayer isn't about you and God doing things on your behalf. Does that happen? Yes. The primary vein and purpose of prayer is actually you and him communing together. It's you ministering to the Lord. Generosity isn't about you. Generosity is actually something that we do uh, to the Lord. I could show you scripture after scripture that, that, that bringing the tithe and bringing offerings and bringing generosity was all about being something that we do to God has other benefits but just like prayer and worship have other benefits but it's primarily to him and we minister to each other give you a whole minute to share the love of God with people we put breathments out in the lobby that somebody else paid for because they're generous so that you could have a conversation and build relationship without stanky breath, knocking them over. Like it's, it's, I'm here to, I, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want to celebrate you. I want to love on you. I want to be with you. I want, I want to care for, I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to hold your baby so that you can sit in service and receive the love of God. And while we're holding your babies, we're praying scripture over them and speaking life over them and calling them to the greatness of God inside of them. We're sitting in circles with your elementary students, helping them see Jesus on their level where their imagination is exploding with possibility of what God can do. 
because we want to minister to each other. We're not just parking cars. We're creating an environment for you to feel welcome and loved, hosted, celebrated, where people are happy to see you, not upset that you showed up. Why? Because we're ministering to the Lord and we're trying to minister to each other because that's what the family of God does. We carry responsibility and we serve because we minister to each other. It's our mission. And then we represent Jesus living as we should in the world around us because we are ambassadors who bring faith to life in our workplaces, in our schools, in the classrooms, on the campuses, in Walmart, in spaces where we go. We're bringing faith to life because we're on mission for him. We want to bring faith to life. And we want to do it together. Unified around these things. Continually after these things. It's not one greater than the other. And we're not holding an emphasis on one of these areas over another. We actually believe that it is the intersection of all of these three that creates a radiant life. We don't want you to be radioactive. We want you to have a radiant life. And it's all three of these. I know you get to experience the transforming presence of God because you were here today. I know you're, you're learning the ways of Jesus today and you're experiencing some counterformation because you're getting taught the word of God today. Here's my question. If we're going to continue to reach people, we're going to continue to expand, if we're going to continue to help bring faith to life, my, my real ask today is will you begin to join the mission? where we minister to the Lord, to each other, and we live out a loyal life before the God in our world. Will you join the mission together with us? Will you give? Will you go to Go Track and find opportunities for you to establish relationships and ways in which you can minister and serve those who are showing up who need the transforming presence of God's people? Will you do that? Will you take a step to minister to the Lord and to his people that's my ask today will you be together unified being God honoring joyful generous contributors to the family of God would you stand with me realize I went a a little longer today than what I would have liked and so I, I appreciate your understanding your kindness your love but would you bow your heads and and just close your eyes for a second just begin to ask the Lord Lord how am I doing in unity towards others and how am I doing in my loyal faith to you living for you Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love that draws us, your presence that's here that's actually beginning to shape and change us. 
Can we celebrate those lives that surrendered publicly today in baptism? God, would you continue to lead all of us into the ways of Jesus to be formed by you? Helping us to grow in unity, developing a faith that's lived out in a God-honoring way. And Lord, would you invite us to step into the mission here together as a family, living out this mission to bring faith to life. Lord, I pray for those that are in the room that are feeling just overwhelmed today. Life, concerns, maybe financial pressures, maybe some health issues. Lord, I just, in my heart, sense that there's just a sense of overwhelm some people have carried in here today. God, I pray right now by your spirit, you would just help lift that burden off of them. Would you touch their hearts, Lord? Touch their minds, Lord? Bring your peace, your shalom, your wholeness into their life right now. May they breathe deeply of your life today. Refresh them. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things real quick. Number one, if you're kind of thinking, man, I'd like to take a step and really participate to, to be together on this. Growth track is kind of the beginning place for that. We just share what it looks like to be a part of the family and how you can participate in the mission. That's what the course is really all about, to help you assimilate into our family. So if you're looking to, to do that and you want to respond and say, man, I'm, I'm ready to be a part of that, you could stop by uh, the kiosk out there. We'd love to help get you connected into growth track. And when that happens, and if you need prayer for anything, maybe you're one of those that just feels overwhelmed by some things today. Maybe there's something else going on. That, that's fine too. Our team, they're available to pray with you to my left, your right at the prayer spot. We'd love to just come alongside and pray over you specifically today and just minister to you. Amen. Hey, can we speak blessing over one another? We end our services like this every week. Nice and strong, ready, let's read it. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Hey, we love you. Go. I really hope today's message was life-giving. As a church, we want to help you encounter God and take another next step in your allegiance to Jesus. I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.